I mean, you know, some some industry forecasters are forecasting that millions and millions of jobs are going to be uh, are going to disappear. And at the moment, we don't know how many new ones are going to be created. There'll be some form of disparity. So there needs to be some protection for workers. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of AI and You with Dr. David F. George. This is episode six now, and we're still on the very hot topic of uh, AI and generative AI. And this week, well, we're going to be looking at the impact of AI on you and specifically on your life and on the job market and on the way you do your work. David, do you think this is going to be a massive impact? When I say massive, I mean seismic in the context of, you know, the actual creation of the internet. Well, yes, I do believe that we've reached a significant inflection point with this technology. I mean, we can just a few months ago, nobody, very few people had heard of generative AI and now it's on everybody's lips practically. So, yes, uh, it's one way or the other, either directly or indirectly, we will all be touched by AI in the future. Yes. And what kind of jobs do you think are going to be most impacted? Obviously, someone who is, um, you know, working in farming, there's already a certain amount of AI involved in that. But the actual physical job, surely that's still a physical job. But what do you think are the main jobs that are going to have the biggest uh, or going to suffer from the biggest impact from AI? Historically, you know, with technological developments, be it robots in factories or even earlier forms, uh, other additional forms of, of AI, it's been more, and I, I'm not sure if this is the correct term, but blue-collar workers that have been affected. With generative AI, for the first time, it's white-collar workers that are actually going to be directly feel the effect of that now. Um, so everybody's job right across the board will be impacted. And it's not necessarily... Your agricultural um, comment was was interesting in the, in that that is a very physical task. You know, people like electricians and plumbers and motor vehicle mechanics, um, are, their jobs are safe. <laughs> you know, because um, we're not going to get AI to actually re- suddenly repair cars. There might be AI components built into the diagnostic systems of modern vehicles, but they they will help with the fault finding. But the actual physical work involved in replacing a part, for example, isn't going to be done by even the most dexterous of robots at this point in time. So the the other interesting aspect of it is that it's not necessarily a complete job that's going to disappear if one looks at what a a job is, then there's a number of subtasks that all roll up to make the job the job that it it actually is. And one of the examples that that I read about recently was um, in hospital environments, the the senior nurses that uh, are technicians in radiography settings, for example, their job has has a number of technical aspects to it, some of which including the scanning of x-rays and cat radiography, that can be done quite well by by artificial intelligence uh, in respect of pattern matching to detect possible uh, cancer. But other aspects of their job to do with discussions with the patient, showing empathy, establishing a relationship w- with the patient, uh, that's not going to be done by AI. 
So one of the things that strikes me while you're talking to me about this with the blue collar and the white collar is that a lot of blue collar jobs have been automated over the years. A lot of factory production and distribution and so on. This is now automation of white collar jobs as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. This is something that now is, 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 seems to be coming in. Yes, it is. I mean, if we, if we were to look at, at the legal profession, for example, it's tasks that can be performed, say, you know, by a qualified legal person that are based on rules. Anything that's sort of rule-based or knowledge-intensive in, knowledge um, or can be learned by reading books and then following <laughs> the book learning, they're prime targets now for, for generative AI um, automation. I mean, I've used this example before um, about the inside, reading the Encyclopedia Britannica and, and being able to memorize all of that and to be able to answer any question <laughs> that's asked you that's contained within the Encyclopedia Britannica. That can be done now by generative AI. So once a generative AI system has been trained on all of the necessary legal rules and regulations about a particular aspect of law, then it will end up knowing, in, in inverted commas, it will end up knowing um, how to answer questions that are asked. And it will, it will know all the precedents of that because that's all the information that's been put into it in the first place. Well, yes, yeah. I mean, the, the rules and the regulations are created in the first instance and then updated over time based on precedents that have been established. Now, it'll be the human lawyer that will very probably be able to define and establish the new precedents based on new cases that come up. Uh, but once that's been recorded and has been learned by an AI system, then the AI system will be able to, to follow those rules flawlessly 24-7. <laughs> Something you talked to me about earlier on regarding AI, was it Bill Gates that said about taxing robots who are doing jobs? One of the conversations I've had with people in the past about this is if jobs are going to be automated, whether it's white collar jobs or blue collar jobs, but a lot of jobs, who's going to pay for the infrastructure? Who's How are people still going to live? I mean, there's always, there's always talk of universal basic income where everybody gets some money because obviously AI is going to generate wealth, but it's going to generate wealth for the people implementing the AI in their particular field somehow that money's got to, got to be redistributed, surely. Although people have said, also said to me, sorry, this is a very long question. <laughs> but people have also said to me that there'll be lots of new jobs will be created through AI as well. Yeah. So so can you see how that would work? Is there already a talk of how that would work? There is some discussion now taking place. Um, however, this concept of responsible AI has really been focused on providing guardrails in the use of the technology to try to minimize um, the impact of bias that's been built in as a result of its training data, to be able to minimize the generation of disinformation by either by accident or maliciously. So that's really where all of the discussions have been taking place now. And it's just been recently announced in the States as a result of the White House having discussions with the big tech companies that they are now going to move ahead with, with the principle of fingerprinting and watermarking AI-generated output so that um, it can be more easily determined whether something has been generated by AI or not. But the ship that is now 
a bit more of a shift now that we can now see some of the early examples of job displacement as a result of companies um, deploying uh, generative AI specifically. And, and there are, have you got any examples of, of jobs that have been displaced yeah, already? There are a number. I mean, some of the big uh, telecom companies in their call centers, which is a primary focus area for uh, job displacement at this point in time. I mean, you know, generative AI is, is really good at generating content and it's really good at responding automatically, for example, to customer complaints and customer emails or customer requests for advice and guidance. Uh, so that's one of the main areas where the technology is currently being um, being deployed and the results from a business perspective, are very positive. And there are some statistics even that uh, customer satisfaction levels in terms of the support they've received is increasing as a result of using AI-generated help and responses to their original complaints or or queries. So, you know, from an economic point of view, businesses will be looking to improve their own bottom lines by reducing their costs of providing certain functions uh, in the business. And one of those functions is going to be replacing call center staff. And there are a number of examples. The one that hit the press fairly recently is the large uh, telecom company that actually fired every single one of their call center staff to over 200 people. The management's uh, decision to do that, they said, was justified by the fact the responses, the the business response to the customers was uh, was seriously improved by just using AI and that the people weren't needed anymore. So when it comes back to responsible AI and where the current focus is, that current focus is now starting to extend a little bit to, to actually say, well, hold it, you know, how do we implement job protection? How do we implement um, um, regulations or controls that will stop staff from being um, exploited uh, in a negative way by the by the technology? And that's starting to to gain a lot of momentum now. And sorry to go back to answer your original question. Yes, it was Bill Gates um, when he was actively involved on a daily basis in Microsoft, who basically said, "Companies." We need to work out a tax scheme where production line jobs were replaced by robots. Then that robot should pay a tax, the same way as a human would have paid. Or the company should pay a tax. Or the company should pay a tax on the yes, robot. Well, yes, that's how it would work in practice. The company would actually end up having to pay a tax um, at the same or at the similar rate that the human would be paying tax if if that job is displaced. Governments rely on taxation as the source of revenue to, you know, to provide the services that the that the population requires. If the number of individuals paying tax drops significantly, then that revenue is going to to drop, and so we're going to end up, you know, rather than having growth in our economies, which is what everybody's hoping for, as a result of new technology, uh, we're going to have we're going to have um, stagnation at best. So that something needs to happen. I've been doing a little bit of reading recently as well about the fact that uh, the trade unions are now starting to actually play a much more active role in looking at how they can protect their members from from job displacement uh, by using AI. Do you feel it's the government's responsibility to look at the societal impacts of of AI and 
how this would, it's not just about the jobs, it's about the person's feeling of their own worth. Their worth, their value yeah. to society, yes. Because it's all well and good, a government saying, well, we will pay you money so you can exist. But people who don't do anything become very inactive in lots of other ways quite quickly. Should government be looking at the, the impacts on society of this kind of technology? Well, yes, they should. I mean, looking after society is a government's primary responsibility. So if the writing is on the wall or starting to appear to be written on the wall, then they need to be paying serious attention to it. There are lots and lots and lots of people around that have got great ideas as to how that those issues could be potentially be addressed. But um, the opportunities on the one hand for using generative AI to benefit everybody are, are significant, but there's also negative aspects that can be detrimental to, to individuals. And your point about how people value themselves by what they contribute to society in one form or another is a, a very real issue. I think in, what we need to be doing in the immediate short term is taking a view, and the statistics are, are available through the various um, statistical, the data collection agencies of various governments. The Americans are doing a big job on this at the moment. They've got a very good idea of what industries are going to be. I mean, our last podcast discussed what are some of the industries that are going to be most seriously impacted by this. The Americans have got all the numbers um, at this point in time, and I'm sure the British government and the European governments have got similar statistics. We know what job functions within those industries are likely to be impacted, and we can be putting a plan together. We can make some assumptions about, well, if this job goes, what potential jobs could come as a result of that? And a lot of people now have, have got some very good ideas as to about what type of new jobs are going to be created as a result of displacing an older job. New jobs typically will get generated as a consequence of that change. And so we need to be putting into place training programs. We need to be retraining uh, people for the new jobs. I mean, the first new job that came out about two months after generative AI was first released to the general public was this job title called prompt engineer. Um, and so, you know, that's an ex a typical example of a new job that's been created um, out of use of the technology. So there are definitely going to be more. And a, a lot of these new jobs are going to revolve around, well, how do we actually better interpret what an AI system is actually doing for us or telling us or advising us. How do we actually interpret that? How do we know whether what it's telling us is actually accurate or not? Who's going to be doing all of that verification and all of that re-inputting that information back into the generative AI system so that, they're, so that they improve over time? Almost like guardians of the truth. Yeah, guardians of the truth, yes. <laughs> One of the things that's been going on is the strikes in Hollywood. And I know a lot of it is about residual payments. So Netflix showing the same programs over and over and over again. And the people in those programs are not getting any money for them, although Netflix are making a profit out of showing them. The other thing that's been talked about a lot, using AI to recreate famous actors and their voices in exactly the same way we'd see them on the screen. Now, at what point... Does the image and the voice of that actor still belong to that actor? And at what point does it become uh, the property of 
the film studio, which they're signed up to. Do people have copyright over their own images and voices? Well, if they do, unless they've signed it away in a contract, which is what the current issues really are about, is that sort of unknowingly at the time they signed certain contracts, you know, um, with the terms and conditions in the small print that nobody ever reads anyway, um, because they can't understand it. And they can't understand what, what the implications of certain things are. Who knew five years ago that when you signed this particular contract that you basically signed away your rights to your own voice or your own or, or, or the way you look? So that's really, you know, one of the big issues right now that needs to be addressed in the Hollywood situation. The other big issue is, is about the bottom line. It's, it's all about money. With the business on the one hand saying, yes, well, we paid you once for this, you know, so, you know, you've done that and now we own it so we can use it as often as we want to. So now it's really a question of negotiation between the provider of the service and the business using that service to to what's fair and reasonable to both parties. I mean, there could be an argument said that CGI um, destroyed the jobs of an awful lot of extras because, you know, these these massive scenes, you see these big battle scenes and crowd scenes are just CGI created and the people who would have been in them don't have the work anymore. This is an ongoing thing that's been happening for years and years and years. Yes. And this is just the next stage of it, I, I, I feel. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It is. It's, it's an evolutionary process. People start to need to, you know, to define, redefine what the rules are now. You know, we've, we, we've reached a point where rules of the past no longer apply because technology has made them redundant. So now a new set of rules, um, reasonableness um, metrics need to be defined again. So one of the groups that are going to uh, do quite well out of this are probably entertainment lawyers, I would imagine, and lawyers of uh, IP and so on and so forth. Well, very possibly until AI systems can take over that function from the from the entertainment lawyers, yes. You know, all you need to do is go to an internet-based website and say, this is what I want to achieve. And then, hey, presto, you know, a legal document defining your needs will get automatically generated. The trouble is that probably won't be free because it's the company that created that capability will then be charging for that. But I would imagine it would be at a lot less of a fee than, than a human expert at this point in time. One of the interesting things, of course, is that it's the trade unions in the Hollywood uh, protests at the moment that are actually driving everything. Um, you know, so it's it's the actors' guilds and and the screenwriters' guilds <laughs> that are actually looking after their their members' interests, and we can see that starting to happen now in the UK, not in in the film production or entertainment business as such, but um, but the trade unions now starting to pay uh, much more attention to the impact of their members um, as a result of this technology. I mean, one of the off the wall ideas. I've thought about in the past is that the trade unions, I don't know what they do with all their membership fees, but perhaps what they should be doing is setting up their own AI businesses and running their own companies that will actually um, help them, you know, stay in business themselves as a as an organisation. It's certainly an interesting thought, um, unions running AI businesses. Well, it's the same if you got into a business like manufacturing robots. On the one hand, you're going to be using robots, for example, to displace, you know, a human function as part of a job. But on the other hand, you're going to be generating income as a result of that. That can then benefit your members. Going back, really, to, to where we started with this, in what way do you think 
is going to be the biggest impacts on us as just everyday laymen going around doing our normal business? Is it going to affect us a lot? Well, yeah, I think it, it is going to. And is it already affecting us? It is. Um, not all of us yet to the extent that it's actually going to um, affect us in positive or negative ways. We've discussed this in past podcasts as well about the influence that disinformation is going to have on elections. You know, we've got two big elections coming up in America and in the and in the UK in the next year or so. The battles that are going to take place between the parties is all going to be based on computer-generated um, output of one form or another, either text or images in the form of still photographs or videos that, uh, that are going to be influencing, designed to influence people. Now, whether they're based on fact or fiction is, is something that will need to be seriously controlled. So indirectly, that is going to have um, an effect on us. Because the the discourse, the, the topics for discussion are going to be created now by whoever's, whoever's got the most money to generate the most um, information, whether that information be true or false. So we're all going to be impacted one way or the other in that way. We're all used to using uh, the personal assistant, the virtual assistant, you know, Siri, for example, or the Google assistant types of products when they are re-engineered to incorporate generative AI capabilities, then then our access to information is going to increase by orders of uh, accurate information is going to increase by orders of magnitude. You know, right now, most of these systems are pre-programmed to answer very specific uh, types of question. And if they don't know an answer, they zoom off in the background to Google search um, or Microsoft Bing to do any quick internet search to get the data, or they just go to Wikipedia to give you an answer. You know, that's going to change um, quite significantly. So that will be um, affecting us. And again, depending on the guardrails and, and how, how those guardrails are being enforced by the technology, we may or may not be exposed to either helpful, valid information, or we may be, be being exposed to further disinformation and biased uh, information, which of course is unhelpful. Just to finish off, because we're sort of running out of time now, we've, we've tried to pack as much as we can into this. Looking at the the, the political consequences and the, the rules and regulations that need to be put in, do you think there's, there's a simple set of rules which we could start with and then build on that as AI builds itself? Unfortunately, Mark, I can't see a set of rules that could be implemented quickly and relatively easily that will that will give us the control that we actually need. There will be a need for hard and fast rules and regulations because if it's all done on a voluntary basis, as has now been agreed between the White House and half a dozen of the big tech players in, in the States, it's all voluntary. And most of the rules that they've agreed to are aspects of the business that the tech companies were already doing apart from, as we mentioned earlier, um, generating um, output watermarks on computer-generated output to make it easier to see that something was generated by a computer and not by a human. But apart from that, you know, but it's a good starting point. Once we've got the base plate in, in position, then we can start to build on that. But uh, we, we've seen in social media where it was, yes, we'll manage ourselves, we'll manage our own businesses in an ethical manner. 
um, that hasn't necessarily worked particularly well. And so we need to learn those lessons and not make the same mistake with, for example, generative AI and indeed other forms of, of AI, which as a result of the success of generative AI, the older forms of AI, which are there and have been being used for years, they're now suddenly going to get a new lease of life as well. Okay, Dave, we, we've pretty much run out of time now. So thank you very much for your time. If people would like to get in contact with you and find out more about what you're doing uh, with your Choice Master Recommender system uh, or what you're doing generally in the AI space, what's the best way of getting in contact with you? Well, they can email me at david at choicemaster.org or find me on LinkedIn, um, David George, Choice Master, and, and I'll respond to any messages. Yeah, so if you want to contact David, that's the best way to get in contact with him. Thank you very much for your time again, David. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time with more of AI and you. Uh, I'm not sure what topic we're going to be covered. It's all moving so quickly, isn't it? That yes. uh, every time we we get together, we go, "All right, we need to talk about that." So it, it's all it's all it's moving at lightning speed. I think we could probably say. If there's anything you would like us to talk about, if you've got any questions that you think we should be discussing on the podcast, then like I say, get in touch with us, David at choicemaster.org. David at choicemaster.org is where you need to send your, your emails to. And we will ask those questions and talk about them on the podcast. Thank you very much. As I said, David, uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. This is a 1386 audio production. 